repeat my three rules to live by. Three rules to live by, real right, quick, we before we go live. Never, right, we're going live. Here we go. Live. Never trust a man with a ponytail. Mm, never careful. trust a man with a neck beard. Mm. And never trust a man in skinny jeans. Mm. Three, three rules to live by. Let's get this this party started, Craig. <laughs> I think Derek had all three of them. All yeah, three all of, of us have had all, all three of them at some point. All at once, and I wouldn't have trusted me either. Well, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, check us out. Our Sunday service is at 1030. Uh, if you're not local but looking for a good church, you can attend online, a good Bible teaching church. Again, our live stream Sunday service, the 1030. Uh, you can stream us on uh, Facebook slash Calvary 316 or our YouTube channel, uh, Calvary316.live. So if you're local, visit us in person. If not, watch us online. Again, the Sunday service is at 1030. I'm joined in studio, as always, by the man that needs no introduction, Pope Creighton. How you doing, my friend? I am doing well. Hello, everyone out there. So uh, uh, it is another day. We have gotten officially the T-shirts have been mailed out. I know it's taken a little while. Uh, I think uh, Heather has gotten hers. I'm not sure about Jennifer. And we're still working on figuring out how to get a T-shirt to South Africa. Um, so that's still in process. That has not gotten in the mail, but we are closer than ever uh, to accomplishing that task. Yeah, it turns out that mailing something halfway across the world takes a little bit more energy than mailing it, you know, a state over. Yeah, UPS was going to charge $160 to mail a t-shirt to South Africa. Which That's an expensive t-shirt. That was, yeah, I mean, that, that was not going to happen. United States Postal Service, though, it might take a year, uh, but it's <laughs> considerably cheaper. There's just some information that they have to have to make sure you're not sending, um, you know, money to terrorists or something. I'm not sure what, what all the loopholes are, or what's necessary, but... The T-shirts have been sent out. We're working on that. It's taken us a little longer than we thought. So how you doing otherwise, Craig? I'm good. I'm laughing about the fact that, you, you know, uh, media education would say, don't mention mailing money to terrorists on a, par- well, on a you podcast know, it, for any reason. It is. Like, don't you say don't bomb on an airplane. Exactly. You can't say bomb on an you airplane. You can't say bomb on an airplane. You can't say bombardier. You have to be careful with saying airplane in New York. Like, it's a whole deal. <laughs> that one was dark. Hey, so explain, explain <laughs> if someone is, is watching on the live stream, uh, what's cool about the show is that you can interact with us in real time. Uh, not only... Uh, will the audio be podcasted, but you can interact. So, Craig, explain uh, where we're live streaming, how you can interact, kind of the mechanism, and then also how people can submit topics and whatnot. And then I'll introduce the other cats who are in the room. Yes. So we're going to start with how to submit questions or comments. If you have a question that you want us to talk about on the show, I would love to read them. I'm always interested in uh, getting other people's questions because it means that I don't have to work as hard. Uh, email those to me at Pope Creighton at gmail.com. That's Pope spelled P-O-P-E and Creighton, which is C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N at gmail.com. If you are watching live on either YouTube or Facebook, I am in the comments on YouTube and Facebook. So if you have a comment, I will see it. Um, I actually have one currently uh, and Jennifer has gotten her shirt. Oh, she did it. She's gotten it. Good. She's the first person to have that shirt. Like no one has no, it hasn't been given away. We haven't given them out at church. That's a one of a kind. The the army green with the white logo. Yes. Uh, do you even have one? I don't think so. I have an army green shirt, but I don't have one with the white logo. With the white logo, right? Yeah. Well, congratulations. Jennifer has gotten hers. She also reiterated uh, no skinny jeans. 
which, so she's on board with you, bud. So yeah, if you have anything that you'd like us to talk about, if you'd like to just throw stuff out there, you know, when somebody says something that you think is funny, you can reiterate it, you can high five it. All of that's in the comments on YouTube and Facebook. If you want to find those, it is outlawradio.org.live. .org is the website. .live is the quick link to the YouTube channel. There. So you can find us outlawradio.org and .live. Very quickly, I know uh, we've been notified that we've been having some issues with the podcast. Spotify. Hey, just give a quick, quick updater on kind of where things are with that. Just for those. So Spotify is stupid. (laughs) I upload. And now we're no longer on Spotify. I upload. So the way that the podcast works is we have a server that we upload the audio file to, and it's a solid MP3 file. And then I upload what's called an XML file to our, also to our server. And we have Google Play. We're very quickly losing Um, the audience. Just get right to it. Basically, Spotify isn't uploading our episodes correctly to their app. So if it's a 45-minute episode, it might only show up as 18 minutes and just cut off less than halfway through. And so I there's a support ticket. Support ticket's been escalated. We're working yes. on it. I'm currently in talks with their support. Um, I talked to them and I sent them stuff and they responded with, hey, we fixed that episode that was messed up. And my response was, not episode, episodes. This has so been it's a, an ongoing thing. An ongoing thing. I'm very annoyed by them. Yes. But we are working on it. So for those of you that do get the podcast um, on Spotify, or if you access the Calvary 316 Teaching Podcast, or Get Fed Today, um, all of those Spotify we've had issues with, we're working yeah. on it. If you are a techie person and you know a quick workaround, reach out, PopeCrayton at Gmail. PopeCrayton at Gmail.com. Also join in studio. So if you don't know how the show works, if you might be new, um, uh, it's Creighton's job to introduce a topic. It's my job to turn that topic or passage of scripture or Bible story into a study, a Bible study, something that's edifying. I'm joined in studio in addition to Creighton uh, by four of my, my brothers, my friends, and, uh, and their job is to help me uh, turn this topic into a Bible study by interjecting their thoughts and their questions and, and what the Lord lays on their heart into it. It's kind of a conversational. So not only are we interacting with people um, on the interwebs, but these guys are, are joining it, uh, working from right to left, as always. Uh, the brother-in-law's right there, uh, Mr. Nicholas Monty, Deal Daddy Derek. You got, you're rocking the floral today. I Always, like it. baby. Summertime, and even in the winter, we got to rock the floral. That's right. Rocking the floral. Also joined another brother-in-law and Spice Daddy. How you guys doing? Pretty good. No beards, ponytails, or skinny jeans in this group of guys. <laughs> That's right. Us. Well, let me, let me ask you a quick question about the ponytail angle, because we have a dear friend that, that does have a ponytail that we love, and, and we respect him. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, is it is it a full blown ponytail? Is is that it, or is it the the man bun? I think both categorize. But if you ever look, watch like movies and stuff, all the guys that are really bad guys that you truly hate, they have a ponytail. Yeah, ponytail. It's Jason the ponytail. Seagal. No, it's the Steven pony- Seagal. Steven Seagal. Um, it's the ponytail. So it's it's not just man bun. See, I don't really trust anybody with a man bun. I, it's not that I don't trust them. I just. Don't listen to them because it. Uh, just, you just can't, can't hear what they're saying. The yeah, I can't hear what I'm saying because usually the patchouli oil is overwhelming <laughs> from those guys. Um, but so skinny yeah. jeans, ponytails, neck beard, neck beard, neck beard. Well, <laughs> having that out of the way, I'm glad that we started a very serious moment. Yes, we did. So, so I do have something that I wanted to talk about tonight. That Naturally. being said, now nah, hey. that being said. Uh, 
we weren't we weren't we didn't have Outlaw Radio last week. So the week before, um, we advertised the topic, and then I imploded that by talking about something totally unrelated to that topic. And so I'm not going to do that tonight. So so we got to get to the topic at hand. Um, if we have time left, there is something uh, that I would like to to talk about at the end that that refers back to an early episode of Outlaw Radio that I want to kind of build upon. So uh, I know that was a tease maybe for the end, uh, but Creighton, introduce the topic. What are we talking about tonight? Um, kind of lay it out, break it down. All right. So this is going to be, uh, you know, Christian 201 kind of stuff. So not like entry level, but once you start getting into this, you're going to run up against an issue if you are on your Christian journey. And that one is, how do we know that the Bible's the Bible? And I will elaborate a bit. Um, I grew up Protestant. Everyone else here grew up Protestant, which means that we ignore uh, a group of books called the Apocrypha. The only one by name I know is Maccabees um, that the Catholics say is inspired scripture that we don't believe to be inspired scripture. And as a result, we as Protestants, have a bit of a, um, we see it with a bit of ridicule, like Maccabees. Um, that is then heightened to like the gospel of Judas, the gospel of Enoch, all of those extra biblical texts. I grew up ridiculing, especially things like the gospel of Judas, which is like, ah, it's not a thing. Like, what are you talking about? And you can even throw in like the Book of Mormon to, to an extent. Yes. The right. Book of Mormon is also a good one. Where it's right. like, this is absolutely heresy. Why do How, we not accept the Book of Mormon? Why do we not accept the Book of Mormon or Maccabees or the Gospel of Judas as canonical scripture? Good word. Canonical. Um, yes. Because that, that's going to come up. The canon. Um, yes. Why do we not accept that as a canon? Where do we get the canon? And how do we know that what we call canon is actually canon? So if I could maybe like try to parse it. Parse it into like a, a good topic to start with um, or a good way of like framing the conversation. At least step one here would be like, how do we get the Bible? Uh, you would say that that's probably a good way to, to at least begin the conversation. Absolutely. Let's talk about how, how do we have the Bible to begin with? And then that kind of sets the stage, I think, for maybe other aspects of your question. Uh, before I get into some of these things, I know Spice Daddy has a degree in archaeology. He has a, a, an interesting background in these types of things. You know, before I share any thoughts about this particular topic, I just kind of want to just get your, you know, cursory thoughts right off the top about the topic, uh, anything that you want to throw into it just from uh, kind of that archaeological background that you that Yeah, you there's possess. definitely a lot of stuff I could throw out there. I, I don't know if you want to get into that, like, right off the bat. But, I mean, there's stuff popping up in the news all the time. Most recently, they just found a tablet on... Uh, was it while you're pulling that up did you hear today mount abel mount abel oh so, i did see that yeah so uh, I, is back in to the, the time of moses yeah exodus so it, it, god commanded uh moses to set up basically two mountains across from each other one of blessing and one of curses so on mount abel in, in israel it, it said set up a thing of curses well guess what they found on on mount abel recently a tablet that said, basically, you're cursed by the God Yahweh. Yeah, it was a yeah, specific, yeah, specific so, I mean, reference to Yahweh. So, and that I thought that wow. that's the most recent discovery. But stuff like this happens all the time. Like the Bible is pretty much a hundred percent accurate when it comes to archaeology. If if it hadn't been found yet, it's just because it hasn't been found yet. 
Mm-hmm. Did you see a copy of the uh, one of the oldest complete copies of the Hebrew Bible sold today um, for like thirty something million dollars, and yeah. it's going to be donated to? Um, it was written in the ninth century A.D., which is right. just crazy, and like ninety percent of it's intact, which is which is also just astounding. The the, the highest selling uh, book of antiquity. Um, which is which is mind blowing. Which, which kind of goes back to a, another off topic of the same one is is the Bible reliable? Is, are the translations mm-hmm. of back then match up to now? Which is a whole another topic. For which we will day. get into. We'll I actually into, have yeah. some thoughts on that, that that we'll get to. But let's start. You guys have any? Just right off the bat, y'all have anything you want to jump in? Anything you guys want to add before I, I kind of riff? All right, that's great. Well, one one of the things that does uh, that does. Um, uh, help with tonight is that because I, I had an idea of what the topic was going to be and have had that, I was able to, to, to jot down a few thoughts and pull up a few um, interesting articles online that, that do a great job of, of summarizing some things that would be pretty, pretty boring um, and, and could be very laborious. So what you're saying is essentially that you waylaid us a couple of weeks ago so you'd have more time. <laughs> so I had more time to <laughs> solid, to, solid plan. Can't get mad at that to, to bone up on some things. So, um, let's talk, let's first, so the Bible, in case, in case you don't know, is divided into two different sections. You have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament, the Christian Bible. Uh, the, the Jews have the Hebrew Bible, which is, which is our Old Testament. They don't have the, the New Testament because they rejected Jesus. So Judaism has the first half of the Christian Bible. Uh, we have that in common. Um, the Jews also um, accept a lot of the books um, of the Apocrypha, um, which, which take place um, during the Maccabean Revolution, take place uh, uh, three, four, uh, three to one hundred BC in that that area. The Jews will accept those as interesting his- history, but they won't canonize them. Um, so the Jewish people recognize them as interesting history because it deals with their history. Uh, but the Jews have always rejected them as being uh, within the canon. Um, any any uh, guess as to when uh, the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, was canonized? Want take a guess? Anybody have any idea when that when that happened? Uh, Again, this is the Bible that we adopt that that we that we accept know, and adopted in. It was the Bible that Jesus had. Um, I'm gonna go 1000 AD. Anybody no, know that it the was context? way earlier than that? I know I know that it was during the Babylonian exile. I feel like it was. Oh, I cannot remember sure it what around prophet the time it was. Of Jesus, the, around the right, time of Jesus yeah. is when it was kind of universally accepted. Uh, the the best working theory as to when the books were Ezra. were ultimately canonized was again during Babylonian exile, but it was when uh, a lot of the captives were returning back to the land. Ezra leading a group, uh, he was in charge, charged with God by instituting a spiritual revival. You know, you had Nehemiah building the walls, you had Zerubbabel uh, rebuilding the temple. Ezra was there um, leading the people back to the Lord in this attitude of repentance. And so Ezra probably uh, pinning the Chronicles himself, in addition to Ezra, um, was was likely charged or a group of rabbis at the time of of canonizing the Old Testament scriptures. And there and there are, are is very little debate, um, generally speaking, in regards to the the Old Testament canon. Uh, these were whether it's the the, the f- first five books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, uh, the books of Moses, whether it was the books of history. Um, the, the prophets, major, minor, psalms. These were things that were um, uh, interwoven into society. They were accepted um, as being the Word of God. They were um, accepted as being um, inspired 
um, being the Word of God. And so there was very little debate in regards to the canon. Uh, there was not additional books uh, that, that had any type of controversy. There's very little um, argumentation surrounding the Old Testament canon. Under the leadership of Ezra, probably finally being completed around the time of Christ. Interesting, Jesus quoted uh, from every, or maybe it's not just Jesus, but the New Testament quotes every Old Testament book. Um, so the, the New Testament confirms uh, the authorities of, of the, 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 Old, the Old Testament. And so we have, we have that kind of working uh, framework you know what Jesus' most quoted book of the Bible happened to be? The, the book of the Bible that Jesus quoted the most. Anyone take a guess? Numbers. Not Numbers. Leviticus. Not Leviticus. Genesis. Deuteronomy. You guys hit almost every other book. <coughs> In the Pentateuch. In the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy. Um, more than any other book uh, in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy uh, of all things. But Jesus would also, I mean, Jesus would reference uh, the book of Jonah, uh, a lot of the, the prophets, uh, the Psalms. Um, we, find, we find, again, that was the, the, the Bible that Jesus had. Now, when we get into uh, the New Testament, this is where things uh, get a little bit uh, more interesting, a little bit more controversial. Um, I'm going to just, um, for simplicity's sake, um, I'm going to kind of bring up a website. It's a great place to go um, with questions like this. Um, it's literally gotquestions.org, um, and it's it's your questions, biblical answers. Uh, I, I won't like put a, a ringing endorsement on everything you'll find there, um, but it is a great place to start uh, when you're looking for easy, quick answers to topics like this. And so, you know, how and when was the canon of the Bible put together? is one of the questions that there's an answer to. So I'm just going to very quickly uh, read the answer because it does a very succinct job of summarizing just a lot of church history, a lot of things, and then we'll unpack uh, what it says. Uh, the term canon is used to describe the books that are divinely inspired and therefore belong in the Bible. The difficulty in determining the biblical canon is that the Bible does not give us a list of books that belong in the Bible, a.k.a. the Bible didn't come with a... Um, a, a, a context at the beginning of it. You know, there wasn't right. a, a... God didn't say, hey, Moses, in a few years, some guy named Ezra is going to put all these together. There's a list of books. We'll check off the list as they arrive. Right. Um, determining the canon was a process conducted first by Jewish rabbis and scholars, and then later by early Christians. Ultimately, it was God who decided what books belonged in the biblical canon, a book of scripture belonging in the canon from the moment God inspired its writing. It was simply a matter of God convincing his human followers which books should be included in the Bible. And I will unpack that um, in, in a minute, so don't let me just skirt what's being articulated there. Compared to the New Testament, there was much less controversy over the canon of the Old Testament. Hebrew believers recognized God's messengers, accepted their writings as inspired of God. While there was undeniably some debate regards to the Old Testament canon by AD 250, uh, there was nearly universal agreement on the canon of the Hebrew Scripture. The only issue that remained was the Apocrypha, with some debate and discussion continued, continuing today. The vast majority of Hebrew scholars consider the Apocrypha to be good his, historical and religious documents, but not on the same level as the Hebrew Scripture. Uh, that was the same conclusion that was ultimately reached by a lot of the Reformers. Like, uh, in Luther's Bible, the Apocrypha is included. Um, mm -hmm. In early, in early um, Protestant Bibles, the Apocrypha was included. Um but it wasn't on the same level as divine scripture. It was just interesting history um, and context, which it does provide. Continuing, uh, and again, this is from gotquestions.org. Uh, for the New Testament, the process of recognition and collection, 
began in the first centuries of the Christian church. Very early on, some of the New Testament books were being recognized. Paul considered Luke's writings to be as authoritative as the Old Testament, 1 Timothy 5.18, Deuteronomy 25.4, Luke 10.7. Peter recognized Paul's writings as Scripture, 2 Peter 3.15 and 16. Some of the books of the New Testament were being circulated among the churches, Colossians 4.16, 1 Thessalonians 5.27. Clement of Rome mentioned at least eight New Testament books, writing in A.D. 95. Ignatius of Antioch acknowledged seven books, writing in A.D. 115. Polycarp, a disciple of John the Apostle, acknowledged 15 books, A.D. 108. Later, Irenaeus mentioned 21 books, A.D. 185. Hippolaeus recognized 22 books, A.D. 170. The New Testament books receiving the most controversy were Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, 2nd and 3rd John. The first, quote, canon was the Maturian canon, which was compiled in AD 170. The Maturian canon, canon included all of the New Testament books except for Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, and 3rd John. In AD 363, the Council of Laodicea stated that the only Old Testament, stated that only the Old Testament and 26 of the New Testament were canonical, to be read at churches. The only book that was left out was the book of Revelation. The Council of Hippo, A.D. 393, and then the Council of Carthage, A.D. 397, also affirmed not just the Old Testament and the 26 books, but also included Revelation 27 New Testament books as being authoritative. So, by the way, we, we have had the same New Testament uh, since 393 A.D., um, accepted canon. Uh, the councils followed something similar to the, these principles to determine which New Testament books were truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. So their litmus test was one, was the author an apostle or have a close connection with an apostle, such as Luke had a close connection with, with Paul. James uh, was the half-brother of Jesus, had a close connection with, with all of the apostles, um, etc. Mark had a close connection with Peter. Uh, two is the book uh, being accepted by the body of Christ at large at the time. So it was already accepted, and we'll get to that point. That's a big one. And three, did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? Four, did the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit? Again, it is crucial to remember that the church did not determine the canon. No early church council decided on the canon. It was God and God alone who determined which books belonged in the Bible. It was simply a matter of God imparting to his followers what he had already decided. The human process of collecting the the books of the Bible was flawed, but God in his sovereignty, and despite our ignorance and sometimes stubbornness, brought the early church to the recognition of the books that he had inspired. And so, again, not, not like a complete, there are books you can buy uh, that go into a lot of that information in great detail. Uh, reading about uh, church history, the process of canon, um, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a heavy, weighty, uh, kind of academic topic. Again, I, I like the way you kind of framed it at the beginning, Creighton. Uh, this is kind of Christian 2.0 stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 201, uh, not the stuff that you get into at the first level, but as you're digging in, because you'll get into people that say, well, well, th- you know, the Bible you're reading, that's not how it was. Or right. it's, man changed the Bible. Man changed the Bible. Man picked which books he wanted and left out others intentionally, etc. And more importantly, not pick books, but pick morals he wanted. Say that again. I'm he sorry. picked morals he wanted 
is the argument. Right. So so we, we leave out certain things because it didn't fit within what we wanted. What we wanted while we include which to me is kind of crazy because like if we were really picking the things that we wanted, I'm not sure we land on the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> the Bible has a lot of hard truths about me uh, that, that that are uncomfortable. Um, if I was just picking, like, I'd have picked something else. A lot of Dr. Seuss would have been included, <laughs> you know, in, in my canon if I was compiling it. Now, the, the, so there is a biblical principle that, um, that, that we do need to discuss before we go any further. So in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, and 2 Timothy is an important book of the Bible, um, not just because it's, it's the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, but it, it contains what is very likely to be uh, the final exhortations, the final words uh, of the Apostle Paul. Um, that, um, and, and even then, there's some debate as to exactly when uh, the Apostle Paul died. If you read through the book of Acts, uh, Paul goes through this, this journey. He goes to Jerusalem. Uh, they want to kill him. He appeals his case to Rome. Um, and because he's a Roman citizen, that request is granted. So he's placed under the protection um, of the, the, the Roman government, and therefore, by extension, the Roman army. Uh, the Jews can't get to him. The last few chapters of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul making this journey from Jerusalem through Caesarea Philippi, through Malta, on his way to Rome. Uh, church history tells us that Paul, even though it's not recorded in the book of Acts, will stand trial uh, before Emperor Nero. And there's some debate as to whether or not Nero has Paul executed then, or if... Paul gets released. Um, again, there's there's some debate, and that places the timing of 2 Timothy quite interesting because it in, does imply that Paul was probably released, ends up continuing on a circuit, missionary journeys, ends up being rearrested, um, where he'll ultimately be executed. And then 2 Timothy is, is his parting words, his final thoughts, and he makes this statement, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I would encourage you to, if, if you're interested in this topic, go to blueletterbible.com and just enter the Word of God you know, in the search section. And, and immediately, every passage of Scripture that has Word of God in it, you know, every verse will be listed out. And you can start reading about just the exhortations about the Word of God. You know, I'm reminded of the psalmist. You know, your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. You know, Hebrews 4.12, the, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. The Word of God exists for reproof, for, for correction. Jesus will introduce himself as, as the Word of God, literally in the book of Revelation. John 1 opens by introducing Jesus as the Word that became flesh. So the idea of the Word of God being essential to not just the Jewish faith, but the Christian faith, um, is a central idea. This is how uh, we, we learn about God. It's how we de- determine His will. It's how we get to know Jesus. It's not just even how we gain knowledge, but there is something spiritual that happens that the Bible is unique because it's a living book. It's living and powerful. It has its own will, its own intention. It reveals to us a person you know, again, I, I pray this often before our Bible studies on Sunday. Lord, don't just give us knowledge. We don't come to this. We don't open this book just for information, but we seek transformation. 
that we believe that something spiritual happens as we study this book, as we work through this, as we work through the words, the words work through us and it does something beyond the physical, that it touches the soul, that, that it's significant. So we have this idea that the Bible, the God's word is, is kind of, uh, it's, it's essential. The question then, well, then what is God's word? And going back to it, the Old Testament seems pretty established what God's word was. And that got accepted, uh, not just affirmed by Jesus, but accepted by the early church. There's a consistency. The greatest commentary of the Old Testament is the New Testament. Uh, the way that the Old Testament and the New Testament seamlessly fit together can only happen through the inspiration of God. Uh, it is a beautiful thing, an amazing thing. The amount of Old Testament scripture uh, written down, included, just go through the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been doing at, at Calvary 316 on Sunday. Uh, the, the, the amount of references where Matthew will be talking about the life of Jesus, and he says, this happened, guess what? So that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet, and then he'll reference back to the Old Testament to, to make that link, to make that connection. When Paul's establishing the doctrine of grace, he goes before the law, and he goes to Genesis, and he, and he starts looking like Abraham was justified by what? By his faith, not his works. That God picked him and chose him and, and decided to work in him. That, that there's this principle, this precedent established. You find it in Leviticus within the law of grace. Like all the theology, when Paul in Galatians is talking about the idea of grace, he goes to the book of Genesis. He goes to Abraham. He talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit, this very new covenant idea. Where does he go? He goes to this, this parallel of of the son of promise, Isaac, and the son of the flesh, Ishmael, you know, and how they could coexist or not, you know, Hagar and Sarah. And so we find this seamless connection between, between both the old and the new. So we have the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. We get to the New Testament. Now, the canonization of the New Testament, and this is what the, 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 this particular article centered on. There was criteria. But what's very important about the understanding of, of canon is that it's not men picking and choosing what books belong in the New, New Testament. That is, that is a complete distortion of historical reality. For someone to say that men chose what books should be in the Bible is just an ignorance of how history practically functioned. The canons occurred, the, these conventions, these councils... They took place when the church was experiencing big matters that had to be dealt with. For example, the Council of Nicaea uh, was a gathering of church fathers to combat a growing heresy within the church at the time concerning the deity of Jesus. The Council of Nicaea dealt with the essence of the Trinity. Was Jesus just a man or was he fully God? We, and we get the idea of God, of Jesus being fully God and fully man. And from that council comes the Nicene Creed, the essence of what the Christian faith was to combat a growing heresy that, that, was, that was spreading. A lot of the councils that dealt with, for example, canon, is that other books of the Bible, quote, of the Bible were starting to being, to being circulated from the churches that were not consistent with what was generally accepted, was bringing in false doctrine and false teaching, was substantiating uh, the ill intent of certain leaders, 
And so there had to be like a gathering. Okay, well, what is the Bible? Like what is, it wasn't so much picking the books that were to be included as much it was identifying the books that shouldn't be. And so they have a list of criteria were the books already in universal circulation. That's a big one. And the 27 books of the New Testament were, in large effect, already in circulation. Now, maybe I should take a step back. We're in the scroll period. So we haven't developed parchment, and we haven't made books. So the way that letters were written, the way that the New Testament functioned, when Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, Paul would take out, you know, take out a pen and parchment, and he would write. And it would be in a scroll, and that scroll would be mailed. It would be sent by courier to this church in Rome. That's where we get Romans. So Paul would hand write a letter, Romans, and it would be sent to the church there in Rome. And that church in Rome would open up that, that letter from Paul. They would read it. They would experience the exhortation. They would recognize what was being articulated, its inspiration, that it was inspired by God, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Literally, the word we find in 2 Timothy 3.16 of inspiration, where we're told all Scripture is given by inspiration. It's literally God-breathed. That it comes, it flows from the heart and purpose of God. That doesn't mean that Paul wrote in a trance. You know, Paul wrote in his own language, which is Koine Greek. He wrote with his own style, lots of run-on sentences. Oh, my gosh. You know, Paul, Paul had a particular, uh, a very logical way of thinking uh, and laying out arguments. I mean, he was very Hellenistic and Greek in that, in that approach. Uh, Paul was an expert in the, in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures as being a Pharisee, but he's very learned, studying at, at, at secular schools even. So Paul had a unique style, and that comes through in his writings. And yet, the essence of the words themselves were Holy Spirit-inspired. They were God-breathed. So this scroll would go to Rome, and they would be blown away by it, and so they would copy it word for word. And then they would send that scroll to another local church so that they could experience that inspiration. They would do the same. So Paul, there would be an original document that would then be copied. And again, these are Jews often doing the copying. And the way that they, I mean, they were meticulous in the way that this was done, uh, to the point that the document that I referenced from 900 AD, uh, this Hebrew manuscript, is identical to the Hebrew Bible we have today. I mean, with the, the scholars with painstaking effort would copy verbatim, word for word, all of these letters, you know, the, the Gospels, this is how they were written. Uh, Often the reason that John writes differently than the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is that those letters were in circulation. John had already read them, so he doesn't repeat the things that, were, that they had written. He adds new insights and new information. He focuses on a whole year of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem before the Galilean ministry. The other three writers don't. Again, there's, there's a cohesiveness to it. So these books were already in circulation. They were already accepted by the churches. Churches already had copies of them. Um, again, no one had their own. A church had a copy. Ultimately, you had the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. They would get translated into what was known as the Septuagint. So they took, again, as the church grew, as the Jewish community became more uh, Hellenistic, um, again, by the time of Christ, Hebrew is not the native language. Uh, Greek is the native language, or Aramaic. One of the two was kind of the tongue of the people. 
the, the, the blue collar or white collar. Not a lot of people other than the religious class uh, would speak Hebrew. Um, and so the translation of the Old, of the Old Testament, Hebrew, uh, it was translated into Greek. That's known as the Septuagint. The Septuagint and, the New, and, and, then, and then the Greek New Testament, uh, they would get translated into Latin, which would be accepted by the Roman Catholic Church, as the Vulgate. So if you study this, uh, you'll run into comments about the Septuagint, um, and you'll run into conversations about the Vulgate. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Vulgate is the Latin translation of the Septuagint, as well as the writings within the New Testament, which were all Greek. And so now it was in Latin. But the canon wasn't so much, again, going back to the point, hey, let's pick the books of the Bible. It was, let's, let's, let's acknowledge what the books of the Bible are. These 27 books are universally accepted. Here's the criteria. They were written by men that were there or, or had personal relationships with the apostles who were there. Uh, they were trusted sources. Again, you, you start parsing some of the other books that were circulating, written at a much later time, not written by eyewitnesses, written by people with an agenda, people without a connection, uh, not inspired. They had this criteria that they, would, that they would apply, not to canon, but to exclude. Hey, these books don't fit this criteria. They might be interesting. They might be a great read, but they're, but they're not on par with Scripture. And so by the end of the 300s, we've settled on uh, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's always been a bit of a debate about the Apocrypha. Um, the Jews and Protestants see it as interesting history, reject it as Holy Scripture. Actually a position taken by the Catholic Church until about 1500. Um, when they had to then justify certain doctrines that were being taught in the church that weren't in the Bible, so they accepted the Apocrypha to validate ideas such as purgatory. Great reason. Um, Etc. And so, and, and in a nutshell, that's how we got the Bible. We believe that it's all inspired by God as it was written, and that it's infallible. That it's without fault, without fail. As it was written. Now, to be fair, we do have certain translational issues. So there are certain things uh, that we can debate about regarding, uh, you know, the certain aspects of the New Testament. A great example of this is that some of your Bibles will have the last chapter of Mark included. The King James will, but like the ESV doesn't because they'll point to certain manuscripts that, that didn't include it. They don't think it was part of it, but other translators do. So there are some of those things, but we believe that as it was written, it was inspired by God. That doesn't always make the translations completely accurate because, again, we're, we're trying to take something that was written into Hebrew, translated into Greek, translated into Latin, now to bring that into a native language. There's problems with language and how language works. Or we're trying to take the New Testament, written in Greek, translated into Latin, now we're trying to, t to take it into English. Do we translate off the Latin, which is a translation off the Greek, or do we try to go back to the Greek? Again, and those are all conversations that could be had, um, and they're fair. Uh, but we believe as it was written, it was inspired. Now, before I have a I, quick question. Yeah, before I get to kind of like, can we trust the Bible that this is what it was? And how, do, how, how can we? Before we get to that, let's just pause and just get some feedback to where we're at. Uh, 
So I want to just real fast. When you say there are some issues with uh, with language, we're translating Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English. As far as I'm aware, there are, there are not big, there are no contradictions. There are not big discrepancies. No. Even when we do all of that. No, not so. No. When you say that, like there are there are language issues, I just want to make it clear that there are not big language issues. No. They are minor language issues. And by the correct? way, we, we deal with this in any type of translation from any work of antiquity. Mm-hmm. Like this is not like a unique problem to the Bible. What's amazing about the Bible, and we'll get into this, is that we have we have so we have a mountain of manuscriptal evidence to validate. So like like if you get into the debate about the last chapter of Mark as an example. Some scholars will be like, well, and these early fragment parchments that we have um, of the Gospel of Mark, because we don't have any of the originals, right? We don't have the actual Gospel of written by Mark. Right. We have early, early fragmented parts of it that we start piecing together to just validate that what we have is consistent with the parts that we have as old. And we do that with every work of antiquity. So some, some people will be like, oh, well, there's... There, you go back, there's parts uh, in these fragments that, that don't have that last chapter. But then you'll find others, and, and I, I, I accept the last chapter, that will be like, well, actually, in the earlier fragments, we do. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so that becomes like, well, we don't have a complete work. So we're, 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 we're pulling parchments to validate. A pers- it's all a math equation. And so, so that's what I'm talking about. Like, and then you get into very small grammatical errors. You're dealing with, again, ancient documents, smudges. Is this an uh, a the? Is there a space here or not? Punctuation. You run into some of that type of thing. But by and large, you can trust, you can trust that this is as God intended it to be. Like, because the errors that we see in translation are very small. Are very small and, and largely unavoidable to an extent. Right. I just wanted to be, I wanted no, to be I clear appreciate that, that I, it's not like, you know... There are this handful of manuscripts that say that Jesus was born of Joseph and Mary, and this section of manuscripts that's God divinely created Jesus in created Jesus is a terrible sentence. It's really, it, but there right, there aren't these big right. big contradictory. No, there are no doctrinal. Very, there's no doctrinal com, com, you know, conflicts. Right. I just want to make that clear yes. for our listeners who might not. No, and yeah. when I'm talking about the last chapter of, of Mark, I'm talking about the, the Peter, do you love me story, which, right. you know, where Jesus comes in Galilee, Peter, do you love me? Peter, you know, Jesus is cooking mm-hmm. on the shore and we don't have that in, in Matthew. We don't have that in Luke. We don't have that in John, but, but why does Mark have it? Well, Mark wrote off the From, recollections of Peter. Right. And so there's a, there's a, a unique dynamic to that. Uh, that is specific to Peter, which makes sense for Mark, which is why when I taught through Mark, I, I taught that chapter. I think that chapter is a beautiful chapter. And, and, and again, you could go back into the archive at c316.tv because I, I actually went through all of the reasons why this should completely be accepted, um, you know, and as it relates to ancient documents. You guys have anything real quick you want to throw in? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I got th- and you might you might address it, or maybe you'll decide you want to ignore it, but um, <laughs> and just handle it's it. It's a good lead day. in. But what do you what do you do about the um, you heard of the idea of Paulism that Christianity is actually Paulism, and that you know we have a massive amount of the New Testament is written by this one guy. Did 
Paul invent Christianity and just come up with this thing and create a, a church following for himself? You know, are there ways to look at parts of the Bible and exclude Paul and still validate what Paul says? Or so, maybe you've never looked into it? Or, no, no, yeah. I'll, I'll address that. I mean, that, that is, it's related because it's, it's an attack on, you know, a significant portion of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when someone says, well, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, that is, that is an ignorant statement. Um, Paul didn't write the majority of it by, by word and volume, you know, who wrote the one author who wrote the most, most of the new Testament. Anyone take a guess? John. John. Nope. Are we counting Jesus? Because then Jesus, No, Jesus didn't write anything. Okay. No, no. The the one guy that by volume wrote more of the new Testament than anyone else. John is two. The other option would be Mark Luke. Cause Luke wrote acts as well. I was saying Mark wrote Mm. acts. By volume, if you combine the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, by volume, Luke wrote more than Paul did. So does Luke inventing something? You know, know, Paul is a contemporary of Peter. Peter speaks highly of Paul. Uh, to the point that, that Peter actually, I, I forget which of the two letters Peter wrote that he, he makes. But he's like, hey, that guy? Yeah, sometimes I can't follow him all the time. But it's scripture. Like, like That guy's solid. Like Peter validated what Paul was writing as scripture. So if you throw out Paul, by extension you're throwing out Peter. And then by extension you're throwing out Luke, who was the personal physician of Paul. And now you don't really have much of a New Testament at all. So and you just kind of rejected Peter, the New Testament. Say what? If you're throwing out Peter, you're losing Mark. Right, you're right. And then by extension, you're th- And since, you know, John was Peter's best friend, now you're throwing out Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Gospel of John. You know, like, like we have the, you know, Matthew. It's a cascade. Matthew, James, <laughs> whoever wrote Hebrews and Jude, right? I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, it, like it just, so, I mean, the idea of, well, you know, this is a Paul-centric thing. Don't don't skirt the issue that Paul's the second most significant player. Second to Jesus, I mean, Paul was chosen, anointed. You know, Paul's Paul's one of the few people. You know, he says he says I was an apostle born out of time. And and when he talks about communion, again, Paul's not present in the upper room, but Paul's like, hey, this is, and he talks in I think it's First Corinthians. He talks about communion. He says, this is what the Lord told me. Like Paul talks about like that, that time period. Cause Paul was off the scene for like 14 years. He gets mm-hmm. saved on the road to Damascus. He's in Damascus. They want to kill him. He leaves Damascus. And goes, he's just on ice. Goes. Yeah. And then he's like for 14 years, he's someplace Tarsus, Arabia. We're not even quite sure. And he's apparently getting like individual tutoring lessons from Jesus, you know, which wouldn't be crazy. Cause Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so Paul's an interesting guy. If you, if you remove Paul, you have a problem. Like, I, I would have a problem with, with the New Testament. But, again, even, even addressing the deeper issue, Paul doesn't invent any new doctrines at all, which is why Paul painstakingly, every single idea that Paul brings up, he, he always roots it back into a precedent-established in the book of Genesis or the, or, or the Old Testament, like every single time. Um, and if you take into to, to effect, as I would, that Paul also wrote Hebrews, 
didn't sign his name because the Jews hated him. You know, Jesus is our priest, how? Because he's not a descendant of, of Aaron. Again, Paul would say, well, because he's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, he establishes the order, like Jesus is our great high priest, and that's justified how? He doesn't invent a doctrine. He goes all the way back to Genesis and says, this is how, this is how. And we talked about, you know, the, the, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away the remissions of sin. And he's, he's talking about, like, Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. He will still go back to the Old Testament to establish, like, this is what it was talking about. You know, so Paul doesn't invent anything. He doesn't invent a religion. Paul is, 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 is the perfect person to say that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of everything that Judaism was. And that Christianity, and that's the other thing. You got to realize like the early Christians didn't see themselves as starting a new religion. Like everyone in the upper room, the Ascension, Pentecost, they didn't see themselves starting a new religion. They saw themselves as the accurate holders of the fulfillment of the religion that they had grown up with, Judaism. They didn't call it Christianity. They called it the way. Christian was a derogatory term used by pagans in Antioch to call them little Christ, which they were like, hey, that's a great compliment. We'll wear that as a badge of honor. But they didn't see themselves starting a new religion. They saw Jesus as, the, as their king, as their Messiah, as the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had, had been teaching and pointing to. Where, where do we get the idea of the new covenant? Jeremiah talks about, was it chapter 31? A new covenant where he's talking about removing the heart of stone. I'm going to impart my spirit. Like this is all New Testament-y, right? Mm -hmm. But it's all rooted um, in the Old Testament. Um, any, any other any other thoughts? Kyle, I, I appreciate that. I think that that helped unpack a little bit more mm -hmm. of what we're getting to. Well, I think uh, just to throw out some stats, uh, aside from the archaeological accuracy of the Bible, uh, we, we got to throw out like the historicity of it. And uh, oftentimes we match specifically the new Testament because uh, that's the newest one. The, the old Testament or the canon has been around for thousands of years, pretty well established with the dead sea scrolls, stuff like that. New Testament's really what usually what people get in a fight over is, is it accurate? Has it changed? Uh, so we have to go back to the earliest copies of, from the original. Yeah. Set, and, set, set and, the stage. Cause I'm so right with you. One, one to, compare that to is Homer's Iliad uh, famous story Homer's Iliad uh, we we keep we always go back to it we read it in, in, in literature high class read I read it in high right. school everyone did uh, it was written in 900 BC okay uh, can you any guess on the earliest copy of that 400 BC 400, 400 AD no BC. 400 BC. BC it's 500 Four, years 400 BC, 500, 500 year years separation any any guess at how many copies were found? 643. Okay, okay somebody we, knows we, this game. <laughs> somebody knows no, this the game. this is all coming off the top of my yeah. head. So, so that, that, sure that is. is, in terms of Greek literature, ancient literature, that is the most, and it has a 95% accuracy of the copies. So 95% of the copies, they're, they're accurate to the original. Hey, I'll let, you, I'll, let you, I'll let you get to the New Testament. I'm going to throw in a few other examples. Okay. So if you work backwards, Aristotle. You know, no one debates Aristotle. Um, there, there's 1,400 years separating when Aristotle wrote, and the earliest fragmented copies we have of it, 1,400 years separate, 
and we only have 49. We're looking at the same list, aren't we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and there and, and and that it doesn't the, the percentage of of accuracy, it doesn't even rate. Like there is nothing anything that you read that's quote written by Aristotle, you have zero evidence that it was ever written by Aristotle. Honestly. If you go back, Caesar, anything written by Caesar is a thousand year separation. There's only ten copies. If you go back to Plato, Plato, 1,200-year separation, we only have seven copies. Mm. It, doesn't even, it doesn't even register. But do you hear anyone like, well, I don't know if we can trust what Plato wrote or Aristotle or Homer. And, and you can even get into like the, the, the historical documentation we have that validates the exist the very even existence of Alexander the Great. Have you ever heard anyone in his in any history class ever be like, you know what, we really don't have any evidence that this guy ever existed? No. But if if you accept that Alexander the Great was an actual historical person, then you have literally no reason to doubt anything in the Bible or any of the characters of the Bible because the amount of evidence is overwhelming for it. Justin Bring them on the New Testament. You ready to get your mind blown? Yeah. Are you ready for this? As I point to the camera, for those of you that aren't watching the live. So, obviously, the New Testament, first century A.D. Any guess as to when the earliest copies were made? 70 A.D. Second, se- second century A.D., so uh, 130 A.D. Yeah. You know what? So I'll take that as a win. That's less than a hundred years. Less than a hundred years. Less than a hundred years, compared to the earliest one that we have, which would be Homer's Iliad, which is five hundred years. Okay, five hundred years difference, ninety-five percent accuracy with those six hundred and forty-three. Six hundred forty-three copies. So less than a hundred years from the original to the copies of the New Testament. Any guess of a number of copies without Zach answering this? <laughs> few thousand. Oh. I think it's like yeah. 1,400 or something. 5,600. I was low. 5,600. Guess, guess what the accuracy is? 99 point something. 99.5% accurate. God. Goodness. Let me, let me that's re- only mm. including the Greek translations. It's not including the over 19,000 copies in Syriac, Latin, Coptic, and Aramaic languages. Mm. Wow. The total wow. supporting New Testament manuscript base is over 24,000. 24,000 with a 99.5% accuracy <laughs> within 100 years of the original. That's crazy. Mm. The point is when someone's like, well, I mean, how do you know that the Bible isn't, you know, is true? It's like you, you just haven't, you haven't. You've you have asked, no idea what you're talking about. You've asked a question without any idea what you're talking about. Because if you take any time yeah. to do any even Sorry. cursory research of the topic, um, if you can't trust the Bible, and that's fine if you don't, but you can't trust anything. I mean, really, any ancient document at all. You can't trust anything that you read. You might as well be living in Thursdayism. Well, I think it goes back to not just importance for us but all these all these other religions and stuff that have branched off of what christianity is like the mormons and 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 jehovah's witnesses that say the the bible isn't accurate because it's changed over time and men have changed the the Mm -hmm. the accuracy of it and that's just blatantly untrue just from those numbers clearly untrue right correct i would like to add one more thing 
uh, since we got into the historiosity. Pause one second, that, just to piggyback. This doesn't even bring in the Old Testament. Because when you look at, so there was always great debate about Isaiah. And then the Dead Sea Scrolls happened. And just studied with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like, we have a copy of Isaiah. It goes back to 600 B.C.? Uh, yeah. They, I mean, I mean, I mean just, that was like almost like... When actually, I, they just found some uh, or even ones. earlier copy yeah. of, of so, this. So. so, I mean, again, again, when... Creighton, I'll just pivot back to you. I, All right. I hope yeah, we're yeah, answering yeah, yeah. your question. No, 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 no. This is perfect. But because we got into the story, obviously, I want to mention that there's not a credible historian that doesn't believe Jesus of Nazareth was a living person. Yeah, 100%. Like, you can... There are people who get paid thousands of dollars who don't know if William Shakespeare wrote every play that he wrote. Which he didn't. But nobody questions... Nobody with who knows what they're talking about questions whether there was a person named Jesus of Nazareth who did the things that are recording the Bible. Mm. Like, that's not a thing. Unless they have an agenda. Well, I mean, and you can go back to people that weren't believers, historians. Plenty the lesser, plenty well, the Josephus, greater. Josephus, I mean, the works of Josephus, Tacticus. Mm -hmm. Side point, do you know, uh, I read an interesting theory, and there seems to be pretty solid evidence of it. Do you know who um, Josephus's brother was? Yeah, so no. Josephus was, was, was an eyewitness of the Roman sacking of Jerusalem. Because mm -hmm. he was a traitor. Because he was a traitor. But but it there's pretty solid evidence that his brother was Nicodemus. Like like the Nicodemus. That's like, wild. Like, like John chapter three. Like there's this whole this whole thing about um if you go back like that's that's a whole other topic for another time. But I have a question about yeah. the dating. What was the most recent thing that they found and they dated it to whatever about date? 130 AD 130 so AD the Bible, so the Bible the, the New Testament was the originals were between 50 AD and 100 AD interesting so what's the difference between them dating that and being able to figure it out versus like them dating fossils like why would they find that and be like oh this is whatever AD versus that's oh a, this is 600 that, million years very, old that's a very easy but long explanation Mm. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you a very, yeah. very quick cliff notes. Like the difference I was is like, that, why is that? Well, when so you're dealing low? when you're dealing with parchment, you have you have like easier things today. For example, like ink. the skin t types of things within the polyps of of the skin yeah. type of ink that's used. Like there's a lot of like very simple things. What kind of containers they were in? Mm -hmm. As opposed yeah. as opposed to like like fossil dating, which uh, like how is a fossil created? Mm -hmm. A fossil is created within a very cataclysmic dynamic of pressure and heat and gas and, and floods like there's and a, there's stuff like that. It's and so crazy. that, that throws a, to me, that throws a wrinkle carbon 14 dating assumes hundred percent carbon uh, rate of decay, which there's a problem with you're dealing with a different type of dating mechanism when it comes to ancient documents. Mm -hmm. That that's a flyby. I know that's a longer conversation. Yeah. I was like, how would it exist to be that old if it was that old? Answersingenesis.org and mm. Institute for Creation Research have excellent articles on that same question. Mm. Yes. Well, I want to, Creighton, did we cover that? Absolutely. 
I would like you to, what was the website you just said? Say it again. Answersingenesis.org. Yeah. Answers in Genesis. Yeah. In Genesis. They have the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter up in uh, uh, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have Institute for Creation Research, which is a little bit less layman's term stuff, but more like technical articles and stuff. But they cover stuff like how radiocarbon dating and stuff like that and how they date. Fossils and stuff. Ken Ham, you can look up fascinating. You can look up Ken Ham, who's in charge of all that. Um, another guy that we've actually done an interview with um, a few years back about aliens. Um, Gary Bates is um, a, a creation. Uh, I think Creation Institute is Gary Bates's organization. So uh, again, it's a great topic where an episode like this only scratches the surface. We could we could sprawl for four episodes. Well and there and this. there are there are college classes that you can take on canonization. Mm-hmm. You know, Old Testament canonization, New Testament canonization. Um, there's there's, you know, uh, the you know, the, the Bible and its his, his you know, his historical accuracy, you know, the archaeological elements. I mean, there this is you can go deep on this. And I would encourage anyone like if your faith is kind of like if you're struggling with this particular topic because you've heard the talking points and you have people like you can't trust that book and you're like, I would really love to give my life to Jesus, but I just don't know if Jesus really existed. I don't know if I can trust this thing. If what's like the Bible says, ask, seek, knock, you'll find. And there again, we live in an exciting time where all of the world's information is right here. There's a lot of disinformation. There's a lot of false information, but there's the truth and if you're seeking truth, uh, you'll find truth. Um, and if you're watching this or listening to this and you want additional links, uh, Pope Creighton at gmail.com, not just goes Creighton, goes to me. We can send you information uh, and help you on your own journey as you explore these various topics. I want a quick rant, uh, a, qu- a quick rant um, on something that kind of, kind of a burr in my saddle. You remember years ago, Creighton, where Lauren Daigle got into a whole bunch of trouble? So Lauren Daigle is a Christian Vaguely, artist. She's saying oceans. No. no. Oh my gosh. No. I was so she, close. For you. Uh, not for you. Um, uh, look up child. No, not symphony. Oh she, my okay, gosh. So she, I recognize the name, man. So Lauren Daigle is a, is a Christian artist and, uh, and she got in trouble years ago because uh, she, she went on Ellen DeGeneres rescue. She went on Ellen and she, um, and she was asked about homosexuality and she just, she totally dodged the question and was like, I don't really know, you know, how I, you know, whatever I've got. She, she, it was an, it was a non-answer answer. I've got some gay friends that I do love. And, you know, she just didn't take a definitive answer and she got hammered by the Christian community. Lambast. Yeah. Got absolutely hammered. And I did an episode of outlaw radio taking the opposite approach. I actually defended Lauren Daigle. For this reason, she's been poorly pastored. Like she completely is the manifestation of seeker-friendly, lukewarm, thousand-foot, inch-deep Andy Stanley Christianity, which is where she got her to start singing. And it's like she, she she's not equipped to answer the question because she's attending a church. She's had spiritual leaders that that aren't equipping her, right? And like I, I try to defend her in that sense of like. Hey, she's a great example of why you should go to a church that actually stands for something and is willing to talk about controversial topics because she goes on Ellen as innocent as can be 
and, and it's a gotcha question. And she and she knows that if she answers one way, she's going to tick off the Christian community. She answers another way, she's going to she's going to be be labeled a bigot, right? And so she's like just totally dodges. She does exactly what her pastor did, Andy Stanley, about everything that's controversial because he wants to offend no one. Well, Lauren Daigle's back in the news because she was she's got an album coming out this month. And she was asked, she lives in the state of Louisiana. That's where she's from. And she was asked about the new abortion law that was passed in Louisiana. And her answer was like, I don't know anything about that. Uh, Not a good answer. Like that was her answer. I don't know anything about that. And, and again, she's now gotten hammered for it. And and it's, it's funny to read the, the kind of just the Twitter reaction to it. Okay. Because you have two different, you have two different angles. You have one angle of Christians that are like, Hey, that's refreshing. How does she, I mean, what if she doesn't know about the law? Like she doesn't know the particulars of the law or what the law says. And she's like, and she's getting caught in a moment and, and it's clearly with an intention. And she's like, I don't know anything about the law. I don't, I, how can I comment about something I don't know? And they give her the benefit of the doubt. There are other people that are like, oh, well, she could have at least taken a stand about abortion. But she didn't because, you know, she doesn't want to offend anyone. To me, I think it's a, it's a, the reason I wanted to bring it up is it's a great example of where we are as Christians in our culture and what you're not going to be able to do. You will not be able to play the middle anymore. It's not going to happen at all. Like, I know exactly what's going through Lauren Daigle's head. I mean, let, I don't know her. Maybe she is... She's got different opinions on abortion than I do or that most Christians do. Maybe she is liberal in that sense. I have no idea. And maybe she's, she's like, well, I don't want to tick off the entire Christian community by, by vocalizing what I really feel about abortion or what I really feel about homosexuality because I know who butters my bread. Mm-hmm. And the moment I do this, like no one's playing my worship songs anymore. And, and I, lose, I lose the entire Christian community. At worst, that's what she's doing, and 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 at that point, shame on her. Because I think she's talented enough; she could probably be like, "Yeah, I think it's terrible. You should be able to have an abortion." And I love gay people, and check out my music; it's awesome. And she could probably she's talented enough to have a career. Because guess what? There are more non-Christians than there are Christians, and maybe they'll buy her albums or not. But Christians won't. The point is, though, is that we don't live in a culture anymore that will allow you to play in the middle. And I know it's fear. I know it's fear. You don't want to upset either mob. But we're in at a point where the game has changed. And you can't, you're going to tick off just as many people with a non-answer on both sides. It's like the funniest thing with Budweiser. Budweiser has gotten hammered because of the Dylan Mulvaney thing with the transgenderism. And, be, and they haven't apologized. They've tried to, like, push it aside, make excuses for it. But what's funny is that they distance themselves from, from the controversy. And what's happened? Now you have all these gay bars that are refusing to sell Bud Light as well because they're now ticked off that you're going against the trick. Like, you can't, you can't play in the middle anymore. 
This is a beautiful place to be. And I think it's a good thing. And, and if I was counseling Lauren Daigle, it's like, you know what would be refreshing? I mean, it would be refreshing to, to say, hey, listen, I have some personal feelings about abortion, but in regards to this particular law, I just don't know anything about it. And, you know, I, if you, if you, I have no problems reading up on it. And, and if you want an opinion, then I just, I don't feel educated enough about the particulars of this law. That'd be a totally appropriate response. But you have to open with like, hey, I have personal opinions about abortion. Now, if they push against you, it's like, well, wait a second. Like, are you, are you doing that with other people? Like, mm-hmm. go on the offense. Like, wh- wh- why is it incumbent upon me to share my personal views about something that you're trying to play gotcha on? Like, but go on the attack. You can't be in the middle. Mm. You can't be in the middle. Pastors can't be in the middle. People, Christians can't be in the middle. And it will cost you. Like if Lauren Daigle, if she had, if she had said a biblical position about abortion, if she had, if she had stood on a biblical position about uh, gay marriage, yes, her secular career is over. Never going to happen. Probably not. No, the, the amount of press that she would have gotten from, from Ellen to fill in the blank, her secular career would have been over. Yeah. But you have to ask yourself, what's the cost? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, are you, are you, like, you, are you going to stand for truth or not? Because standing for truth will cost you something. And, and if, if you don't accept the costs and you try to play the middle, you're a faker. Now, it's easy to say for people that it hasn't costed anybody their job. But wait for it. There's going to come today a day that if you work for a secular company, they will ask you your position on Gender or marriage or homosexual, like you fill in the blank. They will ask you and you saying, I'm not answering that will not be enough. And if you stand for truth, they will fire you for being a bigot. I mean, I think, again, I only wanted to rant on the Lauren Daigle thing because it's such a perfect example of like where we are and the time we're in and like buckle up, bucko. Yeah, I'd like to, to tack on to that something that i've said i think i said it last episode like if you're in this position or if you think nah that's never going to happen don't forget if the book of revelation is to come to pass which it is to, we, which, right, it which is. it is <laughs> yeah. we have to lose the culture war like we don't win right <laughs> until jesus comes back that's true that we don't win until the end of days yeah we're going to lose until then, and, and that fun. doesn't and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we that that we shouldn't engage in a cultural war, or that we should lay aside and, and and roll over. Hey, the Bible the Bible tells us that we're supposed to armor up for a battle every. We're in a spiritual war every day, and that engages in culture. As long as you know you're gonna, we're going to lose, you know. Right. Because it's not about it, it, we don't win. Jesus does. We are called to we we are called to a fight. As long as the fight's the right thing, and that's Christ and Him glorified, standing for truth and what it says. I get. I guess the main question then becomes: Is who are you afraid to offend? Not not Christians or the secular people. Are you willing to offend God? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that like uh, I'll be around mm-hmm. people and they'll start cussing and stuff like that, and they if they know I'm a Christian, I'm like, oh sorry, I'm like. Why are you apologizing to me? Yeah. I'm not the one you're going to get have to stand no, before when you die. Right, right. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> don't care what you me, right. Yeah, don't worry <laughs> about matter. me. 
Well, you guys got anything else? Nick, you've been quiet tonight. You got anything? No. I got <laughs> a lot of stuff that would bring up another hour or two episode, and that's not worth it. Well, give us a tease. Like, what's just going through your brain? What, how, you sometimes, what I love to hear about you and what I think you really bring to the show is, is you end up bringing the perspective of the audience. Like the person on the other side of the computer screen or, or the other side of the car stereo, person listening to the podcast or watching. Like you process a lot of what happens the same way that everybody else does, which, which is what I think you really bring to the show. So just kind of your just general, like just some of your thoughts. I just, I want to close with it, honestly. So You and then Derek. I mean, my process with this whole thing is like, I don't, it's hard to describe. Um, hold on. So we talk about the Bible being real and stuff. Well, I look at it in different ways. Like, okay, well, instead of the Bible looking real, let's look at other religions around the world. I think almost every single religion relates to Jesus in some way. Yeah, and being a, not the Messiah, but being a teacher. Muhammad Buddhism, called him a prophet, the greatest Muhammad prophet. prophet yeah. Stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, if other religions are calling him, then there's some reality to this like no matter what so i mean that's another thing you can go on about uh, talk yeah. about other religions why our religion is the right religions well one we have a god that's, that's died for us and, and that's, that's not alive. about all of us and that's still alive the, yeah the everything we can and you can go on about yeah. that and that's one thing that went to my through my that's mind that's great and what I about you deal daddy what else you, what do you got topic of lauren daigle any anything, just we're just closing it out here. I mean, you're ten toes down. You're the for the Lord or you're not. That's what it is. You're for the truth or you're not. That's you're ten toes. I'm down. sorry. Yeah, ten toes ten down. Ten toes down. I like it. Yeah, stand your ground. You're either rooted in the truth or you're rooted in the world. Like you said, you're either. Like, what does it matter what I say? Like it either goes against God or it's for what God says. Like that's it. At the end of the day, whatever you say either edifies Him or it doesn't. That's it. Punto. Point. Justin, anything? <laughs> I think Derek summed it up pretty well. He did. He nailed it. Kyle, you got yeah. it? Any? Yeah, yeah. There's, no beating, around the, there's no beating around the bush. Hey, it's like either what it's... you says backs up what the Lord says, and you either choose to follow it or not. We're not going to please what everybody wants us to. Like, we're going to offend many people. The Bible tells us that all the time. So it's you either are following along with what the Lord says, or you're not. We're not ten supposed to be toes friends down, with the Lord. Baby. Ten it, toes down. And if you really want to offend them, Read your Bible. Exactly. <laughs> study your Bible. Know your Bible. Know that it's accurate. Know that it's truth. It, I mean, it says this is it's the sword. I mean, yeah. stay strapped or get clapped. Yeah, I think it's dumb that we're even. No, I think <laughs> so, it's dumb that the world debates this. Like, this is what the Bible tells us. We're just not doing it. I've actually got one more thing. Yeah. So I I've, I listened to a guy that says. There's counterfeit people with the $100 bills and bills in the United States. You know what their job is to do? It's not to go out and find the other counterfeit bills. It's not oh, to do that. It's to study the one bill that we circulate yep. to 100%. That's what the Secret Service does. That's what, yep. yep. So when they see something that's flawed they in it, it, they know it. It's not that they have 100 different things. They know that one thing is 100% mm -hmm. true. And if they see anything false, they know that is false. Yeah. And that's what we should do with this Bible. Amen. Just keep well, reading it. a really good way to look at it. Yeah. It is 100%. Yeah. When you look at it that way, it's like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs>
if you quench yourself with the truth, what's false yeah. is very it's, evident. It stands it out. out because you know it's not the truth. Yep. You know, you might not know exactly what it is, but you know it's not the truth. You, know you might not even true. know why it's wrong. Yeah. 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 You just know it's wrong. But you know it doesn't match. And yep. That's why things are like this. I'm like, dude, what are we even talking about? Like, she's wrong. She's not following this. Like, that's what it is. Like, what are we doing? Creighton, good episode. Agreed. You got anything? Long episode. Any, any part, parting parting words? Uh, Not really. Get fed today. I was today. trying to think of something funny. Get, get fed, fed today. today. <laughs> there you go. I, You're wearing we the have a bunch of, <laughs> There are a bunch of really good Bible studies on there because somebody works really hard on Sunday nights after church. <laughs> so you should go check out Get Fed Today. <laughs> well, a very quick uh, programming note. Uh, we will not be having Outlaw Radio next week. Uh, I have the opportunity to go to uh, Philadelphia. Uh, I'll be flying out to Philadelphia, and I'll be speaking at a pastor's conference, a Calvary Chapel East Coast pastor's conference. Uh, I've been invited to go and share kind of my testimony, and uh, such a, a fascinating thing, and never thought I would have had a testimony uh, that I would be invited to go share. Um, would have loved to have been invited for, you know, some great thing that I've done, or some great sermon that I've taught, or some <laughs> great ministry that I lead. I'm just the guy that didn't die, uh, which is better than being the guy that died. So that is looking. Uh, if you look at it this way, uh, you pretty have a, you have a similar testimony as Lazarus. That's true. That's true. There is. I was thinking Jesus, the guy that didn't die, but I'm with yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit yeah, but, but Lazarus, like me, will die. You know, he yes. he did die. So uh, so I we we won't be here next Wednesday. I'll be out of town. Uh, we will be back though uh, uh, for a, a run of episodes. Uh, leading up to July, and then we'll be taking the entire month of July off. So just kind of giving you an idea. We'll be off next week, but then we'll be putting some weeks together uh, leading up into our summer hiatus, which will be the month of July. So uh, with all that being said, guys, thank you so much for being with me tonight. Uh, thank you so much for watching. If you're watching, check out the podcast. Uh, the audio of tonight's episode gets released on Apple, Google, Spotify, we hope, um, on, uh, on Thursdays. So the audio gets released. Check out the podcast. If you're listening to this, so you're already a subscriber to the podcast, check out the live stream. Uh, live stream Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. Again, not meaning next week, but, but back in the swing of things the week after. Um, what's great about the live stream is that you can interact with us, uh, this Motley crew, in real time. It's a lot of fun. Um, once again, you can learn all about Outlaw Radio at outlawradio.org. Um, everything about Calvary 316 from calvary316.com. Thank you so much for being with me. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye-bye.